0: Hit it. Oh, oh, Brown says, get that India. Big boy. What a Call an ambulance!
1: call a Oh, what a shot! What a shot! Campbell Killer! G'day, ladies and gents. Welcome to another episode of The Tip Sheet. I'm your host, 4020, also known as John. And joining me, as always, is my good mate, Sixties. Good to have you on, big fella.
0: Thanks, mate. It's been a, a good week. It's felt strange, hasn't it, with the long weekend? and playing Yeah, on the
1: long stage. long weekend, split podcasts with a, a review done earlier in the week, and now the preview and our, our big chat, the Joey. So, yeah, a bit of shake-up in the schedule, but it's always good to have a chat about footy, isn't it, mate?
0: Oh, mate, never. there's never a time when I'm not up for a chat about footy, so <laughs> let's get on with
1: it, eh? That's it. And now for another instalment of our chat with Joey Grimer, our resident Parramatta Eels insider. I'm here to talk all things from juniors right through to NRL and Reggie's. Uh, Joey, mate, a pleasure as always to have you on the podcast.
2: Good afternoon, guys. Great to be here again and um, great to, um, you know, to let you, you and your listeners know about how wonderful our junior reps and our programs are going at the moment.
1: That's it, mate. And speaking of the junior reps, uh, two wins from two matches on the weekend. Um, And it's now the final round of the regular season with those rescheduled round seven matches against the Sharks. Uh, Let's firstly discuss the SG ball team, who despite winning against the Thunderbolts on the weekend, actually dropped from sixth to seventh place. They now face a hard task to qualify for the finals. Uh, Can you talk us through what they're, they've got a couple of different scenarios available to them. Um, So what are they and how are they going to approach this week?
2: Yeah. I'll answer the second part first, if I can, Jono. Um, obviously, with the scenarios for our SG ball squad to make the finals, as we spoke about uh, on the um, second time uh, on your wonderful show, we spoke about the New South Wales Rugby League introducing a top six opposed to a, um, a top eight, which traditionally what it's been um, from, for a very long time. So... Our win on the weekend actually uh, dropped us into equal sixth, but on seventh spot on for and against with the Steelers. Now, the scenario is um, we must beat Cronulla Sharks. So that's at the forefront of our mind. And that has been the um, uh, the focus or the focal piece at training this week. Um, we don't play well. We don't win against Sharks. It doesn't matter what happens with the other two scenarios um, that, you know, uh, we may... Uh, get into the finals in the top six. So um, Craig, his staff, are preparing as normal and uh, had a training session last night with more intensity than I've seen in three or four weeks. So from a mental perspective um, and from a um, uh, preparation or game preparation, um, they're where they should be. So that's a really good sign. Um, And we need to make sure that we win that game um, for any scenario to be activated. And the two scenarios we talk about, uh, we talk about the Illawarra Steelers playing the North Sydney Bears. Unfortunately, North Sydney's had a a tough year this year. They're winless and they're coming off a bye. Um, So for us to be successful, uh, we would have North Sydney to beat um, Illawarra Steelers and we would have to beat the Sharks by 30-plus points. Um, The uh, other scenario is um, the Dragons play the Canberra Raiders. Dragons are in uh, 12th spot. Um, The Canberra Raiders are in 4th spot. And the top or the 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th and 7th team are so close, if St George were to um, create an upset and beat the Raiders, we would jump into sixth spot outright, even with the Steelers winning.
1: And uh, just a, a point I want to bring up, because this round's been something of a logistical nightmare for New South Wales Rugby League, it looks like, because they haven't actually had Teamless been updating uh, throughout the week since Teamless Tuesday because the, their website hasn't been able to accommodate the rescheduled round from round seven to round ten. Um, do you have any team news you can give us roughly? Are they going to line up close to last week?
2: Yeah, they're pretty much going to be close to last week. Um, We might have one player back uh, coming back from uh, injury for a head injury knock um, two weeks ago, but primarily men, the um, um, 16 or or most of the squad will be uh, represented um, similar to what it was at McCready Park. So there won't be too many changes. And equally for the Harold Matthews, I know Miles and Eddie came off with a, a couple of injuries uh, but they trained well last night. So I don't think Steve O'Day will make any changes to his squad. They're travelling well or humming really well.
1: That's a couple of big conclusions. I was actually worried for those two because they were aided off with the trainers. So very happy to hear that they managed to get through the week of training.
2: Yeah, they pulled up really well um, uh, two days after the game. Um, so their injuries weren't as, as, as great as what we first anticipated. Uh, they've been getting physio and looking after that. So, it's a, yeah, it's going to primarily be the same 17, I would imagine.
0: Well, mate, that segues nicely into uh, the next question, which is about the Mats. They're now in a terrific position to finish in the top two. Now, if they get the win over the Sharks this week and finish top two, um, will the week off that they would get, will that be beneficial for their campaign?
2: It's, it's a really tough one, uh, 60s. You ask that question because they're so young, uh, 15, 16 and 17, whether they play or whether they don't play doesn't have a greater bearing as if they were more senior or NRL or, or seasoned players. They tend to recover a lot quicker than the older players. Um, some would suggest um, that, you know... Um, some the, the team that has the week off is actually disadvantaged at a younger age. I can, I can go back to when Luke Burt was here and they played Manly in a grand final in under-20s and Manly were 8th were spot. And I, I believe Par- uh, Parramatta came from 7th spot. So if you look at that and with youth on your side, some would say that um, momentum is probably more key than having a rest off. However... It's changed this year. Instead of playing three rounds of uh, semi-finals to get to the grand final, um, there's only two maximum games to get to the grand final. So for us, um, we, we don't have too many injuries. Uh, we're a fit side, touch wood, um, this week's game. So I don't think it's going to be an advantage or disadvantage for us. Um, we've been playing, we haven't lost a game since round one. So you would say, you know, we're we're, we're humming along quite well. Um, So it is what it is. We're going to certainly do our best to finish in the top two. And uh, we don't see having the week off to be a disadvantage. So that should allow us to be freshen up a little bit. Although Steve O'Day and Clinton Harb, their trainer, won't take the foot off the pedal. Uh, They don't believe in that kind of stuff for these young men at this age. Um, So... Yeah, um, we're expecting to have the week off, and that's no disrespect to Cronulla Sharks this week and the Harold Matthews.
1: Uh, before we move on to the Tasha Gale and their final game of the season, I do want to give a shout-out to Blaze Talungi and the Harold Mats, who had a heck of a game in his first start of the season in in the halves.
2: Yeah, it's a position not foreign to him. Obviously, Blaze has been coming off the bench and has been doing a really good job for us as a 14. He's been playing a little bit of um, a middle back row. He jumped into dummy half there. And more recently, he started in the halves, which is his recognised position with his junior club. He's a year young, so for him to um, have that savvy and that toughness in the middle of a field, because you men know, I've seen him uh, quite often, he's not the uh, most robust or thick set player. He's actually lean and reasonably tall uh, for a half, so he possesses that savvy inside. He's um, he's spirit, and he's just got so much tenacity. He's so tenacious in what he does, and at training he competes in everything, uh, whether it's you know warm up or it's a, a conditioning game. And that, that attributes are taken on the field. He absolutely competes on everything, and that says says a little bit about his own makeup. That's it. Yeah, and I
0: thought he's uh, progressed quite nicely from uh, playing Andrew John's Cup last year.
2: Yes, um, he, he was very similar in the Andrew Johns Cup. He was obviously a year young, uh, 60s, uh, in the Andrew Johns program 12 months earlier and uh, was very similar, uh, played above his weight, uh, but just he's always in the game, whether he comes on and does an uh, a interchange role or, as we've seen on the weekend, um, starting in the halves. Really, really good foil um, for Ethan Sanders, who continues to play well.
1: Now, the Tasha Gale, Joey, they're coming off a last start bye, and unfortunately they cannot qualify for the finals after the Round 10 game against the Sharks. Um, how are they going to be approaching this game themselves? Obviously, they want to look to finish the season for win, but is there anything different about this week for them?
2: Oh, look, they know that the end is this week. Um, I went to training on Tuesday, um, and I've said this uh, all the way throughout the season. The way they train and the way they approach training um, wouldn't suggest where they are positioned in the ladder. And that's a credit to Ryan Walker and his staff. Uh, They're a very well-organized staff. Um, They know exactly what they want out of their training program. And on Tuesday, it was as energized and as professional as I've seen this year. I'll be going to training tonight and I'll be expecting the same they'll get onto the field and they'll try and have a quality hour and a half training session. They're playing for a little bit of pride. Um, Ryan spoke about the expectations at Parramatta at a junior base. We've got our uh, two teams currently sitting um, in the uh, final uh, area and, um, you know, not making the finals is not the be all and end all because we, we are a development club, but we do have the level of expectation and, um, resources that would rival teams to be in that or around that semi-final. So they're playing for a little bit of pride um, and they're playing against a, a side who um, have got a lot of players that played at our club last year and the head coach uh, played uh, coached um, some of these girls last year. So um, there's a little bit of familiarity and uh, they'll be going out there um, and being as aggressive, controlled aggressively as they possibly can and uh, finish on a, a real positive
0: Mate, you're just speaking then about um, assessing how a particular season has gone. So just looking at a year in the junior reps programs, how do you judge that, the success of a year? Is it based on qualifying for finals or what, what other sort of metrics are you looking at in your, um, in, in your judgments about the season?
2: And and that there is the $60 million question. Sixties. If you look at uh, what Penrith have done uh, over the nine years um, uh, since they've been doing or really focusing on their development program, they've had a lot of success, but they've been able to transition players into the NRL, which now has, um, you know, featuring 70% of their juniors or 70% of their um, NRL players are current juniors. Now, uh, we would love to get to that. Um, We've only been, um, you know, really focusing narrowly on our development program in the last, um, you know, 30 months, two and a half years. And already we've spoken about this. We've got one wave that came through with the the Dylan Browns, the um, um, Hayes Dunstads, the um, Oregon Cafusis, the um, um, Stefano Utica the Ethan Parrys and those type of players. Now we've got a second wave uh, of Sean Russell, Sean Russell, Will Pennacini, Jacob Arthur, who are all holding their own in um, knock-on effect cup, and then we've got a host of three or four players playing in the Jersey Fleet. Now, if we were to play all our eligible SG Ball players in SG Ball. Um, that's dropping nine players back into SG ball. Um, I would dare say that we would go very, very close to being successful and winning a SG ball competition. Our Harold Matthews cup is sitting um, in second spot and um, um, we'll go very close uh, to getting into the grand final. Um, I would imagine given the past, you know, six or seven weeks and given um, the track records of, of the opposition teams. So if we were wanted to win the competitions, um, we would leave all our best players and raise them at the back end or after their season. However, it was felt that um, for for our club at this time, we would promote our more um, uh, uh, elite players and get them to train against the um Best players that they can train against in a program that is training four and five days a week, opposed to two and a half to three days a week. So for their developmental pathway, um, it would be a benefit for them if we promoted them up, as long as they, there, were, there was there wasn't a duty of care of them being injured. We felt that that would actually assist their progression or transition. Upwards into full time. So um, I, I mentioned uh, three weeks ago, success always, uh, success isn't always um, uh, measured by the amount, of, um, the amount of China in the cabinet. We could win every competition but not promote first graders or create full time players. But at the moment, we're trying to find that balance. Um, we've done uh, particularly well in the Harold Matthews. Um, we've done particularly well given that our seven or eight best eligible. SG ball players are not available and that 17 out of the 25 players in our SG ball program can play again next year to show the level of uh, inexperience or youth or how young that squad is, I would suggest that, you know, we're going just fine in that space um, with both being successful in our programs, particularly the mats and the ball, and by creating full-time players. Does that make sense, man? Yes, Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Now, Joey, before we crack the seal on our brand new segment that we teased last week in the, the hashtag Ask Joey uh, uh, extension that we uh, put out to fans, um, can you just give us a quick report on the jersey flag? Because that was the one game that we weren't able to attend because it clashed with the NRL game on Easter Monday. The Eels did go down 40-22 to 22 against the West Tigers. Um, did you um, ha- happen to uh, catch uh, the gist of that game or the sort of you know squandered opportunities with the Tigers red hot?
2: Yeah, I, I, did, I did attend the game, um, 40s. Uh, it was a very cold. When that sun goes down to Campbelltown at 5.30, it gets pretty chilly up there. So um, it was a, a long weekend Monday. Uh, it was a, a afternoon-evening game. We took on a, a West Tigers team that are coming off a, a pretty decent win um, where we struggled the week before against Cronulla um, and probably let that game slip away from us now. They got off to a, a flyer of a start. We scored the first try, um, our boys, uh, out on our right edge. And then we went back into our shell. And it was a reasonably competent game. The completions were uh, pretty high for the first 20 minutes on both squads. Um, then uh, we went uh, error, penalty, try off the kickoff. And they kicked the downfield. Error, penalty, try. So we dropped our heads. Uh, they were had all the momentum at the back part of that second half. Um, and it was 20, 24 to 10 at half time So we had a big lead to chase down. Went into the sheds at, at halftime. Uh, Coach Dean Feeney was very, very positive. And um, all their three tries, or excuse me, three out of their first tries that they scored in that first half were all 30 metres uh, outside their 30 metre line. So it wasn't as if they built pressure um, and we were able to crack our line through good movements or execution of plays, they actually, it was just one-on-one poor misses um, by individuals, which meant they went length of the field. There was one try, they went 65 metres. Um, so it was disappointing. But Dino went in there with a, a really, really good frame of mind and very, very positive, uh, to the point where we, when we came out, um, we scored two tries. Yates scored one try, I think it was five minutes after half time, mm-hmm. and then Charbel uh, Tapasali scored his first of two tries um, about three sets after. So we got to a stage where it was where it was uh, twenty twenty four to eighteen or something, and and we stole the momentum back, but um, just probably not good enough to maintain that momentum. A little bit of our inexperience and overzealousness um, again, couldn't complete. We dropped the ball twice on play one and played zero uh, after the advantage was given to us and they just came over the top of us and they had all the ball uh, most of the ball 80% of the ball in the last 20 minutes and we just ran out of petrol so disappointing um, some of the players uh, will learn from that some of the players have an opportunity to fix it this week and DNA said to those players that the good thing about rugby league is that it's on next week and we can fix up our misdemeanors um, and some players have an opportunity to fix what they need to fix up and some players may not be there next week so that's where we're at at the mm. moment disappointing um a couple of really really good players shone out uh yatesy um of jayden yates just gives his whole heart um charbel uh, scored two late tries and um, you know, tried to plug the hole, uh, Dino pushed him from one side to the other side to try and stiffen up that edge, uh, tried his bum off, but uh, yeah, very uh, easily outclassed uh, that game, so it was a very disappointing game, uh, particularly the scoreline indicated 40-22. to 22.
1: Thanks, uh, Joey. So let's get into those uh, fan questions. Uh, the first one coming from Wazza, and uh, so we're going over some Rugby League fundamentals this week, and he asks, uh, what are the A and B defenders?
2: Okay, was a great question. Normally, the best way to describe that, if you're playing the ball in the middle of the field. So to give you some context about my talk or the way they're going to talk, you've got uh, two sidelines, 10 metres in. You've got uh, what we have is the um, uh, tap lines, uh, the 10 metre line. The
1: tram tracks.
2: Yep, the tram tracks. Uh, 10 metres inside that, 20 metres in from each sideline you have the scrum line. So 50 metres right in front of the black dot, um, you would assume, let's assume that there is a play of the ball. If there is a play of the ball in the middle of the field, you would normally have uh, two markers and you would have uh, 11 defenders that are defending in the try line. We need to assume that the two markers and the fullback are not part of the defensive line so that would equate to, if you're playing the ball in the middle of the field, you would have a 50-50 split or a 5-5 five and five split or five defenders either side. Working outside in, to give you a context, you normally defend your wingers on the end of the defensive line. Then you would have your centres defend inside the wingers. Then you would have your halfback and 5 eighths then your back rower, and then you would have your uh, leftover players, whether it's a, a middle or a hooker or something of that nature. So you would have a five-on-five five split. Uh, a and B defender are the first defenders on either side of the play of the ball that is standing back with the referee before the ball is played. So the only place a def- uh, the only place on the football field where there is no defenders is behind the markers or behind the ruck. So that's where the defensive line starts from, behind the ruck. So the closest person opposite to behind the ruck, 10 metres back with the referee, the first one closest to the ruck is called your A defender. And he's usually uh, on the inside by about three or four metres to the second defender closest to the uh, uh, ruck although standing 10 metres back with the referee, is your B defender. And then you've got your C defender, your D defender, and then your winger, okay? So the beauty about your A defender is that is where your attitude and line speed comes from. So whoever is at A, you want that person to be set, and he's going to set the tone for your line speed. He's really crucial that he works with your markers system, your first and second marker. And he needs to ensure that his line speed is that productive that the markers don't cross his line when he comes up from a defender because that means he's defending his space.
1: There we go. What do you think, boys? That's fantastic. Uh, a bit of extra insight in terms of why why the A defender is so important, how it leads line speed and sets the tone for the defensive line.
0: Okay, our next Ask Joey question comes from Rob, and he asks, some commentators have been criticising the attack of certain teams, and I think from memory that was probably some teams that are sitting down the near the bottom of the table, saying that they rely a little bit too much on block plays. What is a block play and secondly, is it a play that, some, that teams shouldn't use for some reason?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if the question uh, relates to should teams do block plays. Um, but I think that um, different teams execute block plays differently. And that would give a massive advantage. I'll give you the scenario of what a block play does and uh, partly why it works and why it doesn't work. A block play is where you use someone that's running hard and heavy into an outside role or a hole, I should say, rather, um, and that opportunity allows an overlap or an opportunity of advantage with the attacking team. Now, the difference of a team being successful at it uh, and some teams being uh, unsuccessful successful at it is how deep into the line or how close to the defensive line, the halfback or the person that's throwing that play where he's either hitting someone short or going out the back. The earlier the player passed the ball out the back, the easier for the defence to slide off and get into their next job to create a man-on-man. The real courageous halves take the ball so deep into the line that as they're passing, they get whacked by the defensive line. But that's when you know that it's highly likely that they're going to create an overlap. And the only way that overlap can be stopped is if the centre decides to get off his line and collapse the line and jam in with his winger in tail and leaving the opposition winger unmarked. So there is a place for it in our game, um, the, the block play, and teams do it better than others because the people that are taking the ball to the line are a lot more courageous and are taking the hit for the team to create the overlap on the outside.
1: Thanks, Joey. And now we've got an interesting one from Dennis, um, this one more junior-focused. He asks, um, at what age should players, and we believe he's intimating about players that have long-term career ambitions, um, get serious about nutritional programs?
2: That's a really good question. And uh, anyone that knows me knows I don't, or they can look at me, and I don't know too much about nutrition. However, (laughs) um, I did speak to our um, EELS dietitian, Kelsey Hutton, about this question. Um, Kelsey uh, looks after the player's uh, nutrition, hydration, anything that helps them prepare better and play better for um, the eels. And when I told her about this, um, she thought it was a really, really good question. And one that even though she's a dietitian, she doesn't get too much of, but her feedback was is really, it, it's as soon as they, uh, uh, they start or decide to play sport. Um, however, the part that she put on um, 40s and, and 60s, is that some people, some players, some children, some athletes, actually, are, if they're at a young age, um, their nutrition guidance is actually gauged by what mum and dad cook or serve them for dinner or lunch. So it's a little bit restrictive as to how much they can have a say over what they should and can't or should and could he? Does that make sense?
1: No. Um, yeah. Yep. There's Absolutely. a lot of factors that go into it. And obviously, yes. your parents are a huge one. So that makes a lot of sense.
2: So we do a um, uh, our junior elite talent squad program, our JETS program, where we identify our more elite players of the 15 and 16-year-old age group. We actually invite the parents in to educate them on nutrition. However, the generic answer um, by Kelsey was that um, we should encourage our athletes or our children to start concentrating or thinking seriously about nutrition and their food and hydration um, when they start to um, get into sport and the most opportunist time, although they may get into sport at six and seven is during the uh, age groups of when they start to enter high school, their body changes, their metabolism changes and so forth. So, Uh, The the most opportunist time would be um, if they're playing sport and certainly if they're starting, or once they start high school, that's the the two main areas or the two uh, milestones that um, nutrition should be really uh, given consideration.
0: Now, the uh, next one's an interesting question as well because there's also two parts to it, and it comes from John Boy. And he says we see a different type of tackling in the NRL to junior football. And of course that there are various rules at different age levels coming through uh, with uh, junior sport that we are aware of the different tackling uh, that is and isn't allowed. But the NRL style of tackling is that, is that taught at a certain age or a certain level of football? And that's the first part of the question. And then the second part is really, Do you see any change in defensive methods with some of the rule changes that are coming in?
2: Um, The first part, question to your question, is that unfortunately, yes, I do see a lot of coaches try and coach um, young men and women as they were playing NRL. Uh, I do a lot of uh, coaching clinics and I give a lot of uh, discussion points to a lot of junior base coaches and junior league coaches. Um, And my concern is is that you need to teach three or four things to players coming through um, your junior league clubs that are not in elite programs. Get your body in front. Get your head out of the road. The target area is uh, below the hips and above the knee. And squeeze. If you can do those four things, one, it tells you you've got the confidence to get your body in front, and two, you're going to naturally get better. My issue, and the way that I explain it to coaches, if you're not a mechanic and you're asked to put together an engine of a car, you wouldn't know how to do it because you're not trained in it. Yet we have coaches who are not trained in Wrestle or, or, or martial arts or, 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 you know, post-contact technique, teaching our kids how to tackle. So we're actually doing an injustice and um, it's a duty of care issue rather than getting it right, because they're doing it in the NRL. The NRL and junior league and junior representatives completely different. If, they can, if we can get the players in our junior rep programs, with the understanding of getting their body in front, getting their head out of the way, making good contact, then because our coaches are a little bit more advanced and have a little bit more skill set about what is the correct and not correct procedures and techniques to make a tackle, we could transition them into that next level. Now, we're talking um, um, two completely different tangents here. We're talking about NRL to our local juniors. In the NRL, it's all about slowing down the tackle as best you can without giving a penalty away. And the way you do that is by stopping the person, stopping the offload and making the tackle. So with that comes a lot of over the ball numbers in tackling. But these guys are on weight programs, uh, they are conditioned to this sort of impact where our junior reps and junior lead players haven't got that uh, physicality yet. So if they go high or if they go over the ball on someone that's greater, physics would suggest that they're at a disadvantage. So whilst we're trying to, you know, teach our players and give them the best opportunity to, you know, envisage that they could play first grade, We need to crawl before we can walk. If we start encouraging our younger players, our smaller players, um, to start ball and all handling and wrestling techniques with the larger players, one, they're not going to be conditioned to it. Two, there's a good chance that they're going to get hurt or injured. And three, um, because they're going to get hurt and injured and they're not going to have successful uh, techniques in in stopping those players, especially those bigger players, we're going to lose kids to the game. So, so um, yep.
0: So, what I was going to say is so that the, the message is basically um, what you see at the NRL level is done by professionals and taught by professionals, and that at, at the junior league level, um, it, it should just be limited to um, the basics that. Essentially, all of us were taught when we were uh, young
2: kids playing football. Absolutely, and that's that's all uh, it, it should be. Um, with the 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 focus on getting their body in front and making contact with their shoulder. If you can do that, you'll be able to transition up the ladder and become more proficient in the more elite programs with the um, a better trained staff, um, that's, that's the easiest way to explain it. We have uh, contact coaches. We have specialised defensive coaches in the NRL, and that is their purpose. So uh, we need to understand that um, it's, it's very, very serious, um, and we need to encourage that we're doing the right things. Yes, they want to play NRL and they want to, you know, do what NRL players do. But if they don't get this right and it it, it can actually work against them, particularly if you're a little bit um, smaller, slighter, less courageous than other players in your football team. Um, If you're a female, you're going to have a different context or you're going to have a different um, ability to what potentially a a, a male may do at the same age group. Yeah, uh, just
0: if I can just ask a a couple of questions in, in relation to what you just said. Um, do they... I'm, I'm hearing less and less that um, they call them wrestling coaches and more contact coaches. Would that be the term that they go with now?
2: Yes, they're contact coaches or defensive coaches. Um, yep. The, the, the times of uh, getting people in, wrestling coaches and martial arts specialists and things like that, uh, have gone or are going out of the game and less popular than what they were 10 or 15 years ago. Um, players are becoming uh, better and stronger and more equipped um, in defensive techniques now, traditionally where, you know, 10 years ago, you would have three and, four, three and four people in the tackle to slow down the tackle. Now we're having the same level of time that the play of the ball has been done at with two defenders in the tackle. So our level of execution and our techniques and our weight programs are becoming a lot better.
0: Now, the, the second part of what John Boyd um, asked was about whether there's been any change that you might have noticed in the, uh, some of the tackling in the NRL this year. Now I've got my opinion, which is I've personally I, I think I've seen more um, keeping the player standing up and slowing the play the ball by. Um, well, I, I want to use the word I keep going to use the word grappling with them, but it's more like uh, it's like a dance where there's two or three blokes that are holding uh, someone in place, and it, the to me the play the ball takes just as long. Um, uh, I mean, they slow it up just as effectively, but it feels like um, they're standing there for a long time trying to be able to play the ball because the defenders are holding them in a standing position. It, it, it's a, is that just it's, my imagination or, or is that actually happening?
2: No, it's a good analogy that you've, uh, you've, you've brought up, 60s. and As I said before, traditionally we had three and four people in the tackle, but now what happens is that um, we have uh, two people in the tackle so they make contact on either shoulder. So the player's running in between them. So they close the gap. So I'm making a shoulder on my left shoulder. I'm making a tackle on my left shoulder. And you're on the inside of me. And you're making a, 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 a tackle on your right shoulder. So what we then need to determine, um, and we practice this at training, is that um, it's 2v1. So there's two defenders versus one attackers. So our first objective is to stop the man. Once we stop the man, um, we then need to stop the ball. How do we stop the ball? Well, whoever, whatever arm um, the attacking player is carrying the ball with obviously becomes the responsibility of the defender that is making that tackle on that shoulder. So if I'm making a left shoulder tackle, and Isaiah Papalihi is running the ball at me and you're on my inside and you're making a right shoulder tackle, we're going to hit together. But if Papalihi um, has carrying the ball in his uh, left hand, which is opposite me, then I need to lock up on the ball. And then what happens is once I lock onto the ball, we need to communicate in the tackle. So whoever hasn't got the ball has to slide down, isolate the knees or isolate the lower part of the body and take that base away from him and then transition to taking that person to the ground. So what you've actually said is exactly what we do at training. We stop the man, we stop the offload and we make the tackle. And for us to transition in stopping the man, stopping the offload and making the tackle and putting that person on the ground you spoke about a bit of a waltz or a bit of a dance. That's why yes. you're seeing that a lot more. Um, where we're actually we can't take that person to the ground until we do stop the man, stop the ball, then make the tackle. So that's where we're trying to um, get some momentum, and it's 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 much it's it's not quicker. It's actually slower because we're trying to get both ourselves in a position that. I'm controlling the ball. The other person's controlling the tackle and we take that person to the ground. So your, your, your analogy is spot on.
1: And that's it from this week's mailbag from the hashtag Ask Joey part of it. Um, so if you've got any more questions next week, make sure to send them in via comments on the blog, uh, via Twitter, or if you're uh, direct messaging uh, 60s on one way or another, obviously. Um, but yeah, thanks for all those questions, guys. That was a um, fantastic start to it. Uh, we've kept Joey here for a long time, so we're going to wrap things up just in just a moment. Um, starting with a, a quick review on what you saw on Easter Monday and the uh, game against the Tigers, mate?
2: Well, uh, one thing didn't eventuate. We spoke about a 50 50 chance of rain, um, and it was certainly a beautiful day. So uh, um, I, I did say that the game would be a lot closer, and traditionally, West Tigers yep. outside that first game at, at uh, Bankwest Stadium, uh, we seem to have that dogfight. Um, I would like to have Fergus game over again on that first half, at least. Um, but it just it just goes to show that we can still not play well um, and get a result. And to win four in a row in the best competition in the world uh, suggests that Brad and his staff and the players are doing something well. And I'm really elated for our little number nine too, Reid Marnie. He's been a revelation. And I'm not surprised, given how hard he trains, and um, I'm really happy for the players. We're in a good spot at the moment. There's not many injuries. Everyone's smiling. Um, but when you're 4-0, uh, that's, that's what you'd expect. So, um, really, really excited about it. Uh, I thought West Tigers played with a lot of purpose. Uh, they could have thrown the white flag up, uh, but they come home. I thought uh, Dewey uh, had a really good game and they've got a decent forward pack. So, they're going to be a thorn in the side of a lot of teams. But I'm not worried about any other teams. I'm just worried about the Eels at this stage. And
0: uh, just before you go, mate, uh, last year – well, we're playing the the Dragons this week, and last year the Dragons caused a bit of an upset at uh, Bankwest when they beat us. How do we go about reversing that result this year?
2: I think it's going to go a long way to uh, eliminating their kicking game. If we can put a lot of pressure on their kickers, uh, that will give us a good start to where we want to start our offensive or our attacking sets. Um, they got a bit of power on the edges, so our, our edge back, our edge back rollers have got a big job to do for us this week. But um, outside their kicking game, um, that's a really big positive, and that's been what's working for them over the last uh, uh, two or three weeks. So if we can nullify their kicking game, put some really really uh, good pressure on their halves, and um, we'll take a huge advantage out of that. So defensively. Um, They're just going to run hard. They don't traditionally throw too much at you. um, But what they do do, uh, they can come up with some tries unexpectedly by, um, you know, effort areas. And we've seen um, Sims score a try and pick up uh, another play off a charge down. So we've got to be excellent on our kick, kick game. Um, but we can get a real big advantage if we can put a lot of pressure on their halves in their kick game. That's a big part to their success at the moment.
1: All right, and I'll put a wrap on uh, the long chat with Joe this week. As always, mate, it is fantastic to have you on the podcast. Um couple, couple of big results to get out, um, get out on the weekend for the junior reps. Uh, hopefully the mats can secure a week one bye and the ball can sneak into the top six. And uh, we'll catch you on the other side, mate.
2: Good on you guys. Love yous. Um, yous are doing a hell of a job. And I'm believing for a little, little hope, a little miracle this week where the um, uh, the results will go our way in the SG ball. Thanks, mate.
1: Thanks, Joey. So, if you're still listening at this point, I would like to apologise. Unfortunately, this is actually a re-uploaded version of this week's podcast. Uh, the technical gremlins got into my recording, and one way or another, I've managed to lose the entire preview section of this week's episode uh, with 60s. So, I'll be flying solo for the time being in order to. Uh, try and replace that as best I can, so I'll give you a quick run-through of all the weekend's action, or preview as it were, uh, from top to bottom or from bottom to top, starting with the Harold Matthews as they play that uh, rescheduled round seven triple header against the Cronulla Sharks, uh, they'll be out at Points Bet Stadium, and we actually haven't got teamless this week because of the way that the uh, rescheduling has worked on com. they actually haven't managed to get teamless up. So. What I can do for you guys, though, is go through last week's team list and uh, give you an idea of what they're going to shake out the bee because the Eels shouldn't have too many changes. So the team that took on the Roosters and the team that will take on the Sharks most likely will look something like this. Uh, Patrick Spence at fullback with Josh Leala Alotto and Suliasi Aho on the wings. Charlie Guyman and Declan Murray are in the centres. Uh, Blaze Talonghi did start at 5'8 last week, but I think he'll push back to the bench, allowing Terence Laffey to come back into the starting team. Laffey will partner Ethan Sanders in the halves. Front row will be Sam Tuovati, Yaya Ayachit, Hooker, and olfagmina as the other prop. Uh, Raphael Destratus, Saxon Pryke, and Miles Martin will be the starting back rowers. On the bench, I think we'll look at something like this. Uh, with Blaise Talonyi in the 14, uh, Jacob John, Joshua Alzahim, and Dom Destratus rounding it out. Though There is some potential for change there, obviously. And they take on the Sharks, as I said before. Uh, moving on to the Tasha Gale. Uh, the Gale haven't played for two weeks now because of the buy, so going back a couple of weeks... Um, and not not been able to account for any potential returns from injury or people that might have picked up a, a sort of off-the-field injury. Uh, we're looking at a team list that looks something like... Oh, I'm getting there, sorry. Uh, it's going to be uh, Amina Khan at fullback, Daniel Keller and Hannah McFadden on the flanks, with Jacinta Tui and Tamir Iliardi in the centres, Lorene Lua Manuve and Catalina Vave in the halves, uh, front row of Ruby John Kennard and Lasalio sita Payne as the captain, bookending Jada Tovai. Talisha Pugh, Sama and Taimani Kolomaka in the back row. On the bench, Kristen Corphorn, Leilani Tua and Eloisa Seve with Sama Brown, the 17. Uh, Rosalia Lea, likely to be the 18th lady in that game. And then in the other junior rep game, the final uh, game to take place, the SG Boar. Uh Big one for the Eels, obviously, as we spoke with Joey looking to Jag, a few results to go their way in order to sneak into the top six. Um, they'll be looking like this with uh, jo- uh, Joshua uh, Tupolotu at fullback, with Freeman Forsythe and Sione Tapawasi on the wings, Kamai Fekato and Tyron Sale in the centres. Uh, Drabil Kalachi and Josh Chappell will be the six and seven respectively. Uh, in the front forward pack, front row is Jonte junior Misa, Larry Muagatatia with Vado Yankovic hooker, Uh, Jock Braze will be on one edge. Francis feofer Tortino started the other edge against the Thunderbolts, but uh, I suspect that Maximus Tupo might be back from that concussion. So he'd probably take the starting spot on the other edge. Ampedia Tateo will be the captain and lock. So uh, Francis drops back to the bench and he'll probably be joined there by Brock Parker, Kylan Mafola, and then two of uh, Keanu Wright-Dunrobin, Caleb Coronios, Daniel Reardon, and potentially anyone else coming back from injury as well. So... That's how the three junior rep teams will shape up. Um, obviously, without the benefit of having an official team list, there is um, some significant potential for change between now and Saturday. But uh, we are working with what we've got. And that is all three games out at Points Bet Stadium. Uh, and that's the first part of the triple header, because it then takes us to the Sunday triple header, uh, where the Eels kick off their action with the New South Wales Cup, funnily enough, with the, uh, the usual curtain raiser game getting bumped earlier in order to make uh, it available for a broadcast on Foxtel and KO. So starting with the New South Wales Cup, uh, the Eels will look like this. Uh, Sean Russell, Solomon Naiduki, Hayes Dunster, Will Pennicini, and Tim Laffey are fullback, wing, and center, respectively, in those pairings. Uh, Haas combination of Jordan Rankin and Jacob Buffer. New recruit, Wiramu Gregg, will start in the front row with Makahesi Makatoa. Joey Lusick wears the number nine. In the back row, you've got Ellie Ozogahem, Ray Stone, and Keegan Hipgrave at lock forward. On the bench, Nathaniel Roach, Kai Rodwell, David Hollis, and New Zealand uh, transfer Hayes Perham, who was on loan to the Eels for the time being as he looks to keep match fit for the Warriors. Lala Toa Mata'afa is the 18th man. They're taking on the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Uh, it's an uh, evenly matched outfit here because it's 6v7 uh, on the ladder with the Eels being 6. Uh, so the two teams are relatively equal standing. And um, with uh, the Dragons lineup, they've got a couple of uh, names you might recognise. Charlie Runciman, uh, Siti modareki uh, and then beyond that, uh, Tyron Wishart, obviously uh, a former in NRL name right there. But <clears throat> this is a good chance for the Eels to bounce back from the Easter Monday loss in front of a home crowd uh, with kickoff at 1.10pm. But you can also catch that on Foxhell or KO uh, if you cannot get out to the game. Uh, that means that the jersey flag goes on to the curtain raiser roll at 3.30pm kickoff. And the Eels, after two losses on the trot in this competition, looking to ignite their campaign of a... Clash against the Roosters. So it's not a full-on triple header against the Dragons. They are playing the Sydney Roosters this week. The look like this with Tyrone Harding at fullback. Fruin East Hope and Marley J. Townsend on the wings. Penny Tohey and Jaden Skinner in the centers. Clayton Falolo and Tavita Massima are the six and seven. Uh, we've got a TBA in the front row who is partnering Jack Colavardi at the moment. Uh, Carl Schneider is in the nine. Oli Clements, Chabelle Tassapali and Jaden Yates are the back rowers. Ethan LeBlanc, Lennox Whitaker, Matthew Dragasic, and Valence Harris are the bench. Mark Tepper-Smith is in the 18 right now, so I project that unless there's some other change, Valence Harris goes into the starting front row with uh, Mark Tepper-Smith coming onto the bench as the interchange prop. Now, they are taking on the Roosters, and this is the inverse of the cup clash in terms of ladder positioning. So in the cup, it was 6v7, and in this one, it is 7v8, I believe. i just quickly check that. Yeah, 7v8 with the Roosters holding the uh, ladder advantage here. So the Roosters played three games this uh, season so far, won one and lost two, whereas the Eels have played two and lost two. So <clears throat> good chance for the Eels to make a start and climbing the ladder, um, and you'll catch all the action there at 3.30pm kickoff. And then that takes us to the main event, obviously, uh, being the NRL game with the Parramatta Eels hosting the St. George Illawarra Dragons. This is 2v6, so uh, a good quality match on paper. And uh, for the Dragons, they look like this: with Matthew Dufty at fullback, Cody Ramsey and Michaela Ravalawa on the flanks, Jack Bird and Zach Lomax in the centres, Corey Norman and Adam Clune in the halves. It should be noted that Adam Clune is allegedly off to the North Queensland Cowboys following this as part of, as, a, as part of a projected free player transfer. Clune to the Cowboys, Josh McGuire to the Dragons, and Jake Clifford allegedly to the Knights. Clifford, who signed a deal with the Newcastle Knights and then was rumored to be backflipping, but now is going to get an LE transfer. So. Just average NRL things for you guys there. But yes, Clune playing against the Eels this week in the seven. Uh, Front row of Blake Laurie, Andrew McCullough and Captain and Paul Vaughan. Josh Kerr, Tarek Sims, Tyrell Fumano in the back row. Tarek Sims coming off that terrific game against the Knights. On the bench, they've got Pawasa, Far Masuli, Trent Marin, Daniel Alvaro and Braden Williami. So Alvaro, Williami, Norman uh, rounding out a few ex-Eels there in their lineup uh, for the Eels. There's a couple of changes this week, although they are big ones. Clinton Gufferson at fullback and captain. Micah Sivon, Blake Ferguson on the wings. Tom Opacik and Maradonia Corey in the centers. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses at six and seven. So an unchanged backline, as it were. Front row Reagan, Campbell Gillard, Reid Money, and Junior Paulo. It's nearly an all origin front row. Hopefully at the end of this year it will be with Regan uh, Co op uh, to Queensland. i us say Co op to New Zealand, Co op to Queensland, hopefully. In the back row, Sean Lane is. Holding down one edge while Ryan Madison returns from a concussion finally, which is a big reinforcement for the Eels, being one of the best back rows in the comp. And Nathan Brown is locking the forward pack in the 13. On the bench, Oregon Kafusi and Isaiah Papali'i will be the uh, primary damage dealers in the middle. Uh, will Smith is the super utility, and the big inclusion off the bench is Bryce Cartwright, who gets his first NRL start for the Eels after one hit out in New South Wales Cup, where he was pretty solid all round. That means that Ray Stone and Keegan Hipgrave make way, so they drop to the shadow bench alongside Hayes Dunster and Jordan Rankin. Brad Arthur is the coach, as expected. <laughs> that doesn't change week to week. Um, but yeah, when Sixes and I was, we were Sixties and myself, sorry, were originally discussing this. Um, a, a lot of the conversation centred around the fact that the Dragons have been uh, very much a, a surprise this year for a lot of people. They've been very solid, playing strong, competitive football week in and week out. And while there's been a big narrative in the NRL about the discrepancy between the haves and have not clubs, so you're talking about that that sort of constant top six of the Roosters, the Storm the Rabbitohs, the Panthers, the Eels, and the Raiders, and then you've got everyone else sort of struggling at the bottom, the The Dragons have sort of risen above that quagmire at the bottom and have put themselves in the conversation for the top eight on the basis of their strong weekly play. So they're going to be a, a real threat to the Eels this week, and they are they did get a, a last start upset against Parramatta in 2020, 14-12 at Bank West, a rare, to, uh, rare defeat for the Eels at their home fortress. So there is no way possible the Eels can take this game lightly heading into round five. One thing that I should uh, remind everyone listening is that in the original uh, recording here, Sixties has been very proud of his uh, game day tipping uh, in terms of the uh, the TCT preview of goal. And he's been on the money and, and giving pundits some good tips. So make sure you do check out the preview of goal, which is a fantastic read in and of itself. But yeah, Sixties um helping all the pundits have a little flutter. And the, the last thing to round out this week's episode of the podcast and it's unfortunate this was lost because Sixties and I had a had a good speak about this. Was the uh, recent passing of Tommy Rudonicus, one of the great icons and characters of rugby league? Uh, Tommy passed away on Wednesday morning after seventy years on this earth after a loss uh, in the battle of cancer. Um, obviously, a, a massive, massive loss for the game. Uh, Tommy being such a larrikin, such a uh, off the wall bloke. He you know he, he spoke his mind. Uh, was so passionate about the game and you know, is one of the founding fathers of one of the most important aspects of the game in State of Origin. And that led to a, a very cool proposal that's been made recently in the last few days to rebadge the State of Origin series, the, the trophy itself, the Beats and Radonica Shield or, or Cup or Trophy, whichever they want to go, with the, the two captains of that Inception game in 1980 being honoured for their roles in pioneering one of the greatest sporting rivalries of the modern era. So yeah, Vale Tommy Radonikis. It always sucks to see icons of the game fade out like that, but uh, people have come together to celebrate who he was and what he did for the game in the right sort of manner, I feel. So on that sombre note, um, we'll bring an end to this episode of the podcast, and once again, I do apologise for the technical issues that have led to an absolute botched initial recording, um, and I hope you guys can drop by next week for hopefully a, a much better run episode. Thanks for stopping by as always, guys. You have a lovely weekend.